Under the leadership of that hardy woodsman, Daniel Boone, a large party set out for the new land, Kentucky. Where else comes to be pretty like me? I'm Colonel Harold Sanders, and I'd like to tell you a little bit about my Kentucky Fried Chicken. Have I told you you people are crazy? This is Old Kentucky Tales, the only podcast that solemnly swears that none of our children have been conceived through immaculate conception. Today's title is an ode to meat showers and fatherless snakes. I am your host, Brent Taylor. To my left is the guest host, who is acting as the rest host for Jason Donner, host of River City Presents, Daniel Hurt. Absolutely. Glad to be here. And with us today is a special guest, Britton Shirley, who will perform a reading of his eclectic poetry as the main event. Welcome, Britton. Thanks so much. Looking forward to it. All right. Tell everybody about this book. All right. So I had a chapbook come out a couple years ago called Spinning the Vast Fantastic, and uh, it's my first book of poetry uh, published through Bull City Press out of Durham, North Carolina. They're a great small press of, of chapbooks of fiction, poetry, creative nonfiction. So I totally recommend anybody checking out their website and seeing what they got to offer. Nice. We're not uh, going to be able to stand waiting for this thing. Hey, I've already got it, so you all should pick it up. <laughs> all right. And along the way, don't forget to support the fake history sponsors who support Old Kentucky Tales. The products are real, only the sponsorship is fake. Have you ever been in the middle of a math problem so tough that you either need to smoke a cigarette or just give up and take a nap? Introducing the calculator. The new combination compact. A calculator, an alarm clock, and a lighter. The calculator. Casio QL10. Casio, first again. So, Britton, what do you think about the calculator? Uh, it is fantastic. We, I don't think we had those in middle school when we broke out the calculators. <laughs> right. Well, you would be starting fires in the classroom, too, so we can't rule that out. That's one of those. I just can't believe that's real. It's unbelievable. It's almost literally unbelievable. We've got a picture of this guy. He, he's literally holding a calculator just so that you can see all the buttons on it. And protruding from the calculator is this flame. Well, you know that was something that existed in the 70s or the 80s, because like when you could smoke in classrooms, like at college, it's like, man, this math problem is hard. I've got to light up while I do it or something. I don't know. <laughs> was, it, was it the TI-84 that you all had to get in high school, the big graphing oh, calculator? Yeah, that's, that, yeah, that's why yeah. this died. It didn't have the graphing function. Right. <laughs> that's right. They should have taken the flame and put it on those. The yes. scientific See, calculator plus the lighter. Yeah. That's I'm what they're missing. in terms of like what that would be like today in the classroom. It's like you give a kid fire in the classroom. <laughs> it's just, I still can't get over the picture. The picture is just what's killing me. This guy's lighting a cigarette with his calculator. Uh, he's got like that Tom Cruise meets Parks and Recreation look going about him. Oh, they had themselves a poor man's Tom Cruise because it's the 80s. And, and that That's hair, exactly what they did. That hair looks flammable. That, this, this, is, this is dangerous. Oh, yeah, the, the hair product and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. Unbelievable. A calculator, alarm clock, and a lighter. I just... Why do you need the alarm clock? Like, are you sleeping with your calculator in your suit? It's for I, those Wall Street tycoons. Yeah, yeah, Wolf of Wall Street. Yes. It's the, you know. I guess that's the first of all that convergence stuff, right? You want one machine to do it all. Well, it's kind of like, you know, people have wallets that are their phone cases now. So, you know, you've got multifunction there. You've right. got an iPhone that's got multifunction. So, 
If this is just the early, put everything in your pocket. Put your calculator, your alarm <laughs> clock, your lighter. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. And now for the moment we've all been waiting for. The main event. Round one. So we got your book here. And it turns out that you have some Kentucky-related poetry within the pages of this book. Yeah. Uh, I think I, I write a lot about Kentucky throughout the whole book, I think. But these are probably the two most recognizably Kentucky poems. So the first one is Spinning the Vast Fantastic. So I'll just start out with that. Nice. Spinning the Vast Fantastic. Where at 2 p.m. on a Friday, a girl can make soap in her yard. Look up toward a cornflower sky and be showered with chunks of meat. For ten long minutes it rains. Enough to fill a horse wagon, old Uncle Boot might say. All while she stirs in salt and lard or leeches white lye from ash and listens when men wander past leading their light brown mules and weighing this mystery's merits. One claims it's bushels of mutton. The other says bales of venison cut from a herd of deer that grazed on morels and roses. Still, Benjamin Franklin Ellington swears it's the muscle of bears. Others think stables of horse meat, the lungs of slaughtered infants, or pecks of flesh from a knife fight picked up and spit from a whirlwind two counties over. Most blame the rain on vultures, how they vomit if scared by a sound or when needing to lighten their load. But this girl knows the bellies of vultures. Their circles spun black through a sky. She knows this Friday was blue, clear and clean as the O in wonder. All right. So, Daniel, have you ever heard of the Kentucky Meat Shower? I have, and I wondered when I read that if that was what that was about, but I, I wasn't entirely sure. I sort of deduced that. But uh, but I, tell me about it, because I actually don't know the details. Yeah, so I want to say late 1800s, thereabouts, and they had this mysterious shower from the skies of little bits of meat. And nobody knew what's going on. How does this happen? It's, it's like some sort of wild phenomenon. Do they still not know? They, they still. It, it was March 10th in 1876 and ma made it into the New York Times as well. Um, I believe, I got a friend who's a poet, uh, Jeremy Patton, and he told me at, I think it's Transylvania University, they've got some of this in little formaldehyde jars. They kept and they, the meat. And, and they still quite don't know. <laughs> well, I don't care if it's 1870, 1970, or now. If the sky started raining meat, I'd be nervous. Yeah. I'm just saying. I, I, I think that's what I liked about the idea. You know, I, I think that like right now we like feel like with science and everything, we can explain everything. And so, I, I don't know, I was just drawn to the idea that there were still like unexplainable things that, that happened. Sometimes you just get a meat shower. You did a good job going through the theories, though. Yeah. The vulture thing. Is... That, that, that's, that I had to put on my history hat at that point. I yeah. looked back up, and the, those, yeah. were, those were some of the, oh, the common ideas. Yeah, that's what they'd written. Yes, so, oh, so some, of those, some of those are kind of made up, and some of them are pieced from you know, accounts at the time. Well, the way you described like, the place, too, sounds very Kentucky, yeah. like the cornfields and the fact that you can just be out in your yard or in a front property. And yeah, and it just starts raining meat. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah, know, it's raining meat. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess if you're hungry, it's like manna from heaven, but yes. at the same time, it's 
it's kind of weird though it's like well my problem is that i can't eat beef so like it would do nothing for me <laughs> well oh. i think it, it didn't it rain red one time too it was like so, there was a volcano eruption somewhere across the world and it rained red and they thought it was the end of the world or something they probably thought that was the end of the world too because we just do that yes <laughs> every 10 years the apocalypse is always close yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i have read where there was some black rain after the atomic bombs well that would make me think the world was coming to an end <laughs> yeah that's a real apocalypse right there that's yeah. crazy, though. I had no. I, I mean, I knew about the famous meat shower, and it just happened in Kentucky. Is that? Yeah, that, that's far, as far as I know. This is the this is the sole meat shower in in all of American history. <laughs> <laughs> and just so happens, right here in Kentucky. That's amazing. And in that New York Times article, the part that grossed me out the most was that it. I think it said something about two gentlemen that tried it. Yeah. They just, they just they reached out and tasted this stuff. I mean, it's there. Why not? You know. Yeah, I, I think that's where explained meat. <laughs> I, I think that's not? where I got the the line about mutton and venison. I I, th- I think they did say that like wh- when they were asked what it tasted like, those those were their those were their closest comparisons. Yeah, and, and it wasn't chicken. You know, everyone defaults to taste like chicken, but it did not. Not not it, not the sky meat. <laughs> the sky knew his meats though. <laughs> Right. Yeah, that's the one that doesn't taste like chicken. Yeah. It's it's the unchicken meat from the sky. Well, it's it's literally impossible meat because it came from nowhere. So Oh wow. That's a, such a good line. I think we're gonna have to move on to your next one. <laughs> All right, so so this next one is again kind of an uh, unexplained or I guess kind of explainable phenomenon. This is called uh, parthenogenesis. And parthenogenesis is just the, the fancy scientific word for virgin birth, um, which it get, gets a lot of press in the, in the Bible, but evidently happens quite frequently in, in nature uh, all the time. Uh, also, like the first line of this poem actually is, is borrowed from a poem by the other poet Larry Levis. So, parthenogenesis. If the ankle of a horse is holy, then so is the cow's cracked hoof, the sheep's bleeding tongue, the wiry gray taint of a sow. And if each of these things is divine, who's to say God's skin can't shed, that he can't slink back with a snake's forked tongue, belly scratched and hallowed by gravel, to hiss or kiss like the rest of us, just dragging our bodies through Eden. Last night, in a Louisville zoo, where north is stitched to south, and where slaves, when the sky was clear, tried to swim the moonbright Ohio, this virgin python named Thelma gave birth to a clutch of eggs. There were no shepherds or wise men, no decrees for butchering babies. There was just a guard on his rounds in this city so few would call holy. His light like a star as far as shine, as it lit on Thelma's coiled scales, warming what no one expected. These things that were not, then were. You know what's killing me about this? What's that? The snake's name is Thelma. Yeah. <laughs> There's something about that that's just funny. Holy Thelma. Only Thelma. Um, this is totally like a, a poem that I think I, I, I stole from listening to an NPR story. I, I was driving around one day and, you know, and they just started talking about the snake in Louisville and who was named Thelma. And, you know, just they woke up 
one day and like there were all these eggs and they were like Thelma was just hanging out by herself with no male snake to play with. That's really strange. I didn't know that that had happened. I hadn't heard that. But, I mean, that's one of those, I guess you draw your inspiration from the world around you. So you just heard that one day and thought, you know, that's something that you could work with. Yeah, just, just I don't know, I just think the idea of, again, and, and as I look back through the book, these, these poems are back-to-back in the collection. You know, I think uh, just that idea of the, the unexplainable things, the, the wonder that kind of still still happens. Um, and whether it's 1867 or whether it's, you know, the 21st century in, in Louisville. So if you're that zookeeper, are you worried about this? Is that Do you see it as something good? Are you confused? Do you think someone's been up to something? Well, well I, I think this is, this is great PR. You're like, oh, yeah, people are coming to the zoo now. You just immediately write a memo to your boss. Hey, there was nothing else in there, though. You need to know this. <laughs> I didn't botch something. This is. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're going to get fired over this because the, the snake's it's, having babies. It's, it's a miracle, guys. Come look at this. It, it's, it's certainly not gross incompetence, whatever it is. Yeah. Well, that's interesting that it happened at the Louisville Zoo. I, I, I just didn't realize that. You know, it would make headlines for something like that. But I didn't know that you could have a virgin birth without any kind of... It evidently happens a lot in reptiles and, and, and some, some mammals, too. But hmm. I looked it up, and there's a whole list. If, if you Google, like, parthenogenesis, there's a list of animals that this most frequently happens in. I Google that term all the time, don't you, Daniel? Yeah. <laughs> I, I've, I've Googled that at least 12 times in the last two years. Well, I'll tell you, I've, 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 never, uh, I, I've never heard that one before, so that was actually a new word for me. Now, now you've got some homework. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm learning, too. I'm, that was a new term on me. I, th- I read the article, um, or, or an article about that, but I, I probably forgot the term. They probably had it in there. Well, I mean, I think that it's easy. It's, you know, because of the Christian traditional theory of Christ and all that, that I think that that's easy for uh, readers to sort of relate to, yeah. I think. Yeah, I, I, you know, Immaculate Conception has a little bit of ring to it than like Parthenogenesis. <laughs> yeah, if that word had been in the Bible before, that would have they'd been like, all right, well, that's just scientific. You know, what? It, it sort of, it almost takes the wonder out of it, you know. Immaculate conception sounds more fun. I guess. The ancients were better at branding, weren't they? I guess so. Yeah, that's right. We we we're all technical here. They're like, it's immaculate conception. Look at that. We're just like, well, that looks like, and I don't even remember what the word was. So <laughs> that's cool. I, that was great. I and I tell you what else I think about when I hear this. The first thing I thought about was Jurassic Park. Yes. Ooh, yeah. So remember the whole thing is they're going to splice this and that, and they they don't really have all the dinosaur DNA, so they're kind of making it up as they go along, and they're throwing in some frog stuff and some snake stuff and whatever, and then they uh, they get that that ominous warning. It's, it's always Jeff Goldblum. That's him. That's who we should blame. Goldblum. For anyway, yeah. And he said, "Life will find a way." Well, I'm just saying, you do some stuff like that, it's like. You're just asking for. You're just asking for bad things to happen. We don't have all the DNA. Let's just put some extra stuff in there. It'll be fine. Like, when has that ever worked out? Ever. But that movie is such a warning about that kind of stuff. I mean, it, it was way ahead of its time, too. When that come out? Like the 90s, right? Early yeah. 90s? Yeah. Wow. All right, well, let's pay a few bills around here. All right. 
So this part of the program is brought to you by Collins Voltaic Electric Plasters. That just sounds great. <laughs> it's got to work, right? Sounds scientific. For the relief and prevention, the instant it is implied of rheumatism, neuralgia, sciatica, coughs, colds, weak back, stomach and bowels, shooting pains, numbness, hysteria, female pains, palpitation, dyspepsia, liver complaint, bilious fever, malaria, and epidemics. I guess just, just generic nice epidemics. <laughs> yeah, like whatever, whatever's going around. Not, not a pandemic, though. Just an epidemic. Hey, right, yeah, one level below. Yeah. We're, we're not you, claiming the... We got it. Yeah, it's yeah, take yeah, care yeah, of. yeah, exactly. Use Collins's plasters, an electric battery combined with porous plaster, and laugh at pain. 25 cents can be found anywhere. I think this is a really bad idea. <laughs> Well, I mean, it, so it's obviously not going to work, but is it harmful, you think? I, I'm just confused as to how you hook the battery up to the plaster. Like, there's no jumper cables. There's there's nothing. You got, like... Well, the fact that there's a battery involved is a problem for me. Just... And it doesn't recommend the voltage of the battery. Oh, it doesn't. Nothing, you know. So, it are we doesn't. talking like a car battery or? Well, it's it's got to be a nine volt. It's got to be one of those square yeah, ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. It can't be round. It's got to be something you can. No, that makes sense. I like that. It's like one of those old 1940s, 50s toys. They've yes. always got the, the tool vote battery. <laughs> the thing, it just reminds me of like those traveling salesmen in the old west or something it's like you know step right up get your get your collins voltaic i'll <laughs> right. include the battery in it you'll sing songs and laugh all your way to you know euphoria or something it, i don't know and just hearing the name i didn't expect it to be a cure-all i thought this was going to be some type of weird tesla thing where you cover your house in this plaster and you don't have to have wiring you just yeah. I didn't realize you were going to cover your body in plaster and <laughs> well, hook yourself up to a right. Yeah, I don't, I don't even it's know what to imagine here. Do, is it is it kind of like a band aid over a battery? Is that kind of what it is? I don't know. Just look at the graphic of the guy's face, though. I mean, what, when you see that, do you do you just? He doesn't look like he's having a good time. I he looks like it. the Joker. Yeah, he, he looks like a comic book villain that is shooting. <laughs> electricity from oh, his it. face. The Joker, he's just like, hey, you want to laugh your way out of pain? Let me help you. I got some plaster. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, and it's just the fact that it cures everything is amazing. It's just numbness, hysteria. So men and women can take it. It helps you with your female problems. Of course, this is the 1950s or how... When was this? I think it's a little older than that. I think this one is probably... Uh, you're looking at... Maybe late 1800s, early okay. 1900s, turn of the century-ish. But I, I, I just imagine the 1920s radio announcer voice when I, when I see it, though. You know. Yeah, for sure. So, Britton, what else can we expect inside that book? So, uh, again, there's those, those two poems are a little bit more outside of you know, the personal, but I, I think a lot of the poems in the book do center around Kentucky, but a lot of them are a little bit more uh, domestic, just daily life. Um, I would say just 
paying attention to to the things around you that are kind of wonderful, but balancing that again with the things around you that are also troubling. And I, I think the book, like in a lot of ways, when I was writing these poems, is just trying to find a balance between those those two things: the the things you want to celebrate and the things that you that you kind of struggle with. And and depending on what mood you're in or what things are going on, those things come out within within the poems of the book. Nice. Do you do you find yourself just curious as someone who's you know, in the past, taken your classes yeah. here at the college. Um, how much time do you dedicate to, like, just sitting down with a pen and paper, and how much of it comes to you? I, I spend less time than I should. <laughs> um, but, again, li- life just gets gets kind of busy and in the way. But I, I think um, I think that used to stress me out a lot when I started writing, like, that, that, I, that I wasn't spending enough time to it. But I, I think as long as you're spending time, you know, reading, thinking, and then a lot of times you can work through some of the stuff in your head. And then when, when something comes, just sit down and, and get it down and just know that, like, I tell people all the time, first draft is a draft. You know, you, you can't stretch yourself out and think that, like, when, when you put the pen to the paper, that you're going to come out with a finished product. That, like, this is a long this is a long just process. Just you start writing doesn't mean this has to be it. Right, you know? right. And and I, I I tell students that in class all the time. Like when you when you when you look at a book, you know, it looks all nice and pretty, and it's typed up, and there's nothing wrong with it. And then I also try and show them like drafts and like what this poem looked like and the chicken scratch that you can't read because I was writing it on a napkin in the car yeah. after listening to this radio story. You know, so just you know, be, being free when you're when you write the first draft and and let it kind of come. Did you really write it on a napkin in your car? Oh, I totally do that stuff all the time. Um, uh, while driving, or did you pull over? For the sake of safety, I, I pulled over. I think this happened in the driveway, maybe, <laughs> so I, I, I might have put it in the park already. Uh, <laughs> well, what's just, wrong with that guy? He's crossing the center line. He's writing a poem. It's okay. <laughs> but he's, he's, got, he's got a cigarette calculator. It's fine. Legal pad <laughs> laying on the steering wheel. Yes. Yeah. Well, I can tell you that, you know, just in my own work, and and uh, when like when I was in the creative writing class that that you taught, nice plug. There you go. <laughs> when I was in that creative writing class, um, you had said whatever the assignment was, and I might not have anything immediately, and so I would just go throughout my day, and if I heard someone, it's usually someone saying a sentence. I'll hear a phrase, and I'll <laughs> go like, "There it is. I'm going to lead with that." And I know that particularly there was one that we that I had submitted that someone said it waiting in line at like a pharmacy or something, and I was like, "Oh, that's my line to get yeah. started." So it just happens like that. It's amazing. Yeah, I, I think having a good um, whether it's fiction, whether it's poetry, having, having a good title, having a good opening line, you really want something that's going to invite the reader in from from the beginning and kind of create this space where they're where they're going to follow you wherever you want to go. And like Richard Nixon said, to write a book, you have to have an iron butt. Oh, yeah. (laughs) The willingness to sit down and take the time to do it. Yes. (laughs) All right, so one more time, the name of it and where can people find it? Yes, so uh, again, the name of the chapbook is Spinning the Vast Fantastic, and you can find a couple places. Um, I do have a website, BrittonShirley.com. You can order it from me off there, or you can also order it uh, from the press, Bull City Press. Uh, It's bullcitypress.com. Again, I recommend checking them out. Um, They do a fantastic job. All of their books are not only like really high quality poetry, fiction, creative nonfiction, but they're also like beautifully made. They spend a lot of good time on on the design and layout and stuff. So please, please check them out. It's a good press. Do you get more money if they buy it directly from brittonshirley.com? 
I get slightly more money if you buy it directly from me. But again, in the world of poetry, you know, you're talking like dollars like, <laughs> and cents. You know, this mm-hmm. is, the, you know, we're, we're not talking about option to movie rights or anything here. <laughs> Yet. And, and, and if you buy it from me, I'll sign it and send it to you and, you know, pop it in the mail. Oh, wow. They can get the autograph and everything. That would be cool. Absolutely. Well, everybody needs to definitely do that. I really enjoyed it. I will tell you. I'm glad you liked it. Thanks for ordering it. You were yeah. one of the first ones. I was. I was. You told me as soon as it came out. I was like, where is it? And I got it on my phone, I think, and was like, just going to order it while I was talking to you. Yeah. I mean, and again, another plug for Bull City. Like, one of the things that, that they did that was really cool with this book, um, because it, it got selected uh, to be published, and then, as luck would have it, got released, like, right when the pandemic was starting, and they knew that the world was, like, shutting down. Um so that they really wanted to get it in people's hands, and so they tried for the first time. They did a pay what you want model for for the book when they released it, and I signed a bunch yes. of copies for them. And then you know, if you had two dollars, you could get a copy of book. They told you what the normal price was, and that you know, pe- people bought the book. And like, if you if you were strapped for cash during the time, it was fine. And then other people paid more than cover price to help cover. So it worked out really well. So um, I remember that. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, and it's also something good to read during the shutdown. I mean, if you're stuck at home, it's something that you could have read sitting on your front porch, enjoying the weather or whatever. Yeah, I, th- I think that, w- that was their th- – they thought the book was kind of a, a, a joyful exercise, so they wanted to get it in people's hands during some tough times. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that part of the story. It's pretty neat. Yeah. I think we should do that pay-what-you-want thing with pizza. I would not disagree. <laughs> <laughs> we have now turned to the final page of this chapter, but fret not. Old Kentucky Tales never fails to return. You can download even more episodes on a lot of platforms. NPR One is a good one. If you like what you hear, please leave a review or rate us. That apparently helps with the algorithm gods of the Internet. Special thanks to WKMS, our producer Todd Birdsong, our guest Britton Shirley, the Paducah School of Art and Design, West Kentucky Community and Technical College. We think a lot of people, don't we? Mm -hmm. And the rest is history.